So, guys, we're in the Ambassador Series, and uh, one of, uh, I, I just love everything about this, this series. We are studying 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. We are currently, today, we're going to be in chapter 4. So, one of the things that we have learned so far is this. An ambassador, by definition, is an accredited, so that means that someone has given them power and authority. It didn't come from themselves. They are an accredited diplomat sent by, so they're sent by some by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. So sent from one country to another to represent the one they came from. This person represents and promotes their country. So here's what I want you to see right here. Our citizenship is in what? Heaven. The country we represent is the kingdom of heaven making us ambassadors. So if you get anything out of all of these sermons stacked up, I'm wanting you to understand that you are an ambassador of Christ. You guys understand, right? You are an ambassador. Whether If you are a Christian, the moment you bear his name, Christian, I am in Christ, you're an ambassador. So we have the honor and privilege to represent Jesus and his kingdom. Come on now. Come on, that's some good stuff. That's a privilege and an honor that we get to be a part of. We get to. I get to represent Jesus. So um, we have talked about um, being a sweet aroma We last week talked about um, how God makes us competent. So I don't have to be competent in myself. God makes me competent at this ministry of being an ambassador. And today we are going to be talking about commendable in character. Commendable in character. So um, as we get started right out of the gate, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Look, uh, if you're new, um, I like to color coat things. my sister really likes that I do this too, and my daughters, they have a whole bunch of different colored, you know, highlighters. Um, when I read the Bible, I just, I see um, how it outlines and, it, and it, certain things pop out and, and show me different things in it. And so one of the things, this helps me communicate it to you. So um, if you're colorblind, I'm sorry. <laughs> just don't worry about anything, but... Um, right out of the gate, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, since, so when you see the word therefore, it's concluding what we've already studied last week, but it also represents a word like because. Therefore, you could say because, through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. So the first thing that I'm wanting to understand is this, therefore, so by the mercy of God, you have a ministry. The ministry is being an ambassador. That is our ministry. So when we start, you know, this isn't about, hey, this sermon's for those that are leaders or those who are on stage or preachers. No, this is for everyone because if you are a Christian, you're an ambassador. So when we start looking at this, because of God's mercy, you have this ministry. Because of God's mercy, you get, you get to be an ambassador. And really, if you start thinking about it, being an ambassador, there is no greater honor 
to be someone that you respect, honor, and love, to be their ambassador. Have you ever thought about, like, if you really loved the president? Easy. Easy. I'm, I'm just saying, I, I said if. If you loved the president, like, like, and you just like, man, um, it, you, you respected them, for everything that they stood for and everything that they were, and, and they said, would you represent me? See, here's the deal. You know who's better and greater and more powerful than any president in the world? Jesus, right? So Jesus says, hey, I want you to represent me to a lost world. There's no greater honor to represent the king of all kings. So because of God's mercy, we have this ministry. So our ministry, he says, in, 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 so we, because of God's mercy, we have a ministry. We do not lose heart. To not lose heart means that we do not, I want you to hear me, remain discouraged. Has any of you guys ever experienced discouragement? Okay. To not lose heart means you don't stay there. All right? It doesn't mean that you won't ever experience discouragement. It means that you won't stay there. When you start feeling discouraged, you say, ha uh not today, Satan. Right? We're like, not today. Not today. So when I say I'm not going to lose heart, so because God's great mercy, and who could give praise to God for his great mercy today? Who could give him praise, right? Because of his great mercy. He has given me an honor and a privilege to represent him and his kingdom. Therefore, I will not lose heart. Man, I love it. You see, your body can't survive without heart. Um, is it? Oh, there. How do I get it back over there? Is it over here now? Yeah, there we go. This happens to me every week. I'm like, where did my mouse go? <laughs> Right when I was getting the good stuff. So here's the thing. The body cannot sur survive without a heart, but neither can the ministry that God's given you. Being an ambassador is an honor and a privilege, not just like, oh, it's just a thing. Here's the deal. The Bible says in Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is Jesus your treasure? Come on. Is Jesus your treasure? Is Jesus, come on, I don't believe you. Is Jesus your treasure today? Do you treasure Jesus more than anything? Yes. Yes. The youth get it. The youth got it today. I love watching our youth worship. They just keep getting closer and closer and closer to the altar. I'm like, come on, let's worship at the altar. I've been in some churches where, where they'd be like, no, stop doing that. I saw a couple of kids, you know, they were getting a little bit like that. Listen, if you're Baptist, it's okay. They're just synchronized foot action. Just, you know, just moving with the rhythm. It's okay. If you're Pentecostal, you know what they're doing. All right. So, no, I'm just kidding. So here's the deal. So wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Okay. So here's the deal. If I treasure Jesus and his kingdom, that's going to be coming out of my heart. He says, because of God's mercy. We have this ministry, and therefore, we don't lose heart. Isn't that good? Isn't that something to hold on to? All right, so 
commendable in character. In verse 2, the very next truth. So rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, we plainly commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. All right. One of the things that um, every leader that's been here for any amount of time will, will, will recognize this right out of the gate. I say it over and over and over and over and over, and now I'm saying it to the church. You cannot minister beyond your character. I tell our leaders this all the time. Here's the deal. Work on your character first. You can't go beyond that. If you have poor character, you can't minister beyond it. You can't do it. So I can't minister beyond where my character is. So if my character is a problem, I need to step back from ministry, focus on my character, then I can step back. That is something that every one of us, and it's not just for ministers, it's for all of us. You can't parent beyond your character. The alternative is that when you try to, you become a hypocrite. A hypocrite says, and, and think about this, a lot of parents will be like, oh man, do as I say, not as I do. It's amazing how um, an adult will cuss and have foul language and then tell their children not to do it. Huh, how's that work? Right? Don't drink like I'm drinking. Don't do it. No, no. If, if you don't want your kids to drink, then stop drinking. You don't want your kids to cuss, then stop cussing. Right? Right? Come on. All the kids are like, yeah, come on, preacher. You're next. You're next. So here's the thing is that's what a hypocrite does. A hypocrite says, don't yell at your sister while they're yelling at you. My kids are like, yes, guilty. Every one of us has done hypocritical acts, right? Every one of us. A hypocrite, though, the difference between me doing a hypocritical act and being a hypocrite, hypocrites don't take responsibility. Too many parents don't apologize to their kids when they're wrong. If I get mad and I lose my temper and I yell at my kids, I'm going to my kids and I'm apologizing. I don't, Dad doesn't want to do that and I'm very sorry and he shouldn't. That wasn't a Christian thing to do. Own it. Because hypocrites don't. Hypocrites don't own it. Hypocrites move right on. Or justify their actions. See, I'm wanting us to understand that we need to, to grow and we need to... So hypocrisy, so this is... Think about this. Every time you see the word ministry, think of ambassador. I'm an ambassador. Every one of you has a ministry. Here's the deal. If you are married... How many married people? Wave your hand and married. Okay, if you're married, uh, you have a ministry. Any, any parents in the house? Yeah, you have a ministry. You have a ministry, right? Uh, any of you have a boss? Any of you have employees that you have underneath you, right? Some of you are like, I'm my own boss and I have problems. You know, I have a problem with my boss and I am the boss. So here's the deal is that every one of you, students, you have a ministry because you represent the king at school. Parents, you represent what you, marriage, you should represent what a good marriage looks like to your children. You should model what that looks like so that they know what a healthy marriage looks like. I want my kids to grow up and say, man, I want a marriage like my mom and my dad, not like, I know what not to do. <laughs> we so often are giving the examples of what not to do. Stop it. 
or I'll bury you alive in a box, right? Okay, so here's the deal is what I'm wanting us to get past is that if I'm doing ministry with unrepentant sin in my life, then what ministry really am I doing? I'm not saying that we don't sin. We do. That's where this repentance, he says, rather we have renounced the secret and shameful ways. We've renounced these things. He didn't say we don't do them. He's a minister and he says we have renounced them. So let me break this down a little bit further. Before I do that, we're going to define, let me define what character is. Last week in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, do we need to commend ourselves again to you? The answer is no, our character should do the commending. You should not have to defend yourself. Your character should defend you for you. Isn't that pretty cool? I don't need to say anything. My character should go before me. My integrity should go before me. Henry Blackaby gives one of the greatest definitions. If you ever were like, what is character? I'm going to give you the best definition I've ever read. It's four parts. Part one, what you do when no one's looking. Mm-hmm. What kind of videos are you watching? What kind of images are you looking at? What kind of movies? What kind of music are you listening to? When everyone else is asleep in the house or no one else is around, what are you doing? Are you doing the right thing or the wrong thing when no one's watching? The second part is what you stand for or what you do when everyone's watching. When everyone in school is doing the wrong thing, what are you doing? Are you willing to do the right thing when everyone's doing the wrong thing? That's character. Someone with commendable character does the right thing in the face of wrong. And they will do the right thing when no one's looking. They don't need someone to look at them to do the right thing. They do the right thing because it's the right thing. Third part, who you desire to be. I remember when I was in college, uh, our professors kept telling us you need mentors in your life. Um, we were, we, you know, I had uh, 19 years old. I surrendered to, to the preaching ministry. And, um, and I, I was starting to figure out, well, who do I want to be like? I didn't know the professors well enough to know if, you know, if who they were in class was the same person at home. And I, I remember I'm like, well, the person I really want to be like is my granddaddy. I, I remember coming home from college and I would stay there and grandma would sing to me every morning when I would when it was time to wake because I was always like because I'm not a morning you can ask my wife I'm not a morning person I'm not a night owl either I'm I'm a nine to fiver that really wants to get up in the morning I'm a nine to fiver that really wants I love to go to bed early and I love I want to get up early Uh, my wife really is amazing and she helps me she always brings me a cup of coffee and then you know like come on Come on, let's beat the kids up. I'm coming, I'm coming. And so um, I really struggled. But so I always told my grandma, I said, Grandma, wake me up. And she would, she would uh, good morning, good morning, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. Oh, how do you do? Good morning, Danny. And I'm like, yep, we can do this. We can do this. So I'd go downstairs And I would sit at the opposite end of the table and I would watch my grandpa and my grandma and they would hold hands. Grandma always dressed grandpa. He always looked like her. They were like match. I don't know where they went, where they shopped, but it was matching everything. And, uh, but I was, I watched my my grandfather. He, he would pray for like everyone in the family. It took them like 30 minutes just to get through like 
parts of their list and how long it would take them to pray, and they just did it. And he was always so polite and kind, and I was like, man, if I could be half, half the man, father, husband, I'll be doing pretty good. You see, I looked at Jesus, and I'm like, well, that's impossible, because I was (laughs) way down here. And the Bible does tell us to imitate Christ, but it felt a little overwhelming. Does any of you ever feel a little overwhelmed when you start thinking about Christ because he's so perfect, right? And then, but then I saw someone in the flesh living a Christ-like life, and then I'm like, okay, maybe it's possible. Not perfect, possible. See, if you desire to be better than you are today, Christ is going to continue the work that he's doing today. If you're just wanting to get by, there's so many people who just want to get by. I just want to get in. I don't really care how good I am. I just want to get in. Well, you're going to get worse. The fourth part, what you can be trusted with. And I tell one of the first things I ever taught my children, don't lie to me. The worst spanking you'll ever get is when you lie. Am I right? Where's all my kids? My kids, am I right? The worst spanking they ever got, I can guarantee you, is when they lied to me. I make sure that's the worst one. You lied, it ain't going to be good. That's the, that's, that's the biggest, because here's the deal. If I can't trust you with truth, then what can I trust you with? If I can't trust you to tell the truth, then what can I trust you with? Can you be trusted with truth? Can you be trusted with your boyfriend when you go out on a date? Looking at you two back there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the things I told Charles is I said, uh, you're asking me to trust you with my daughter who's precious to me, right? Don't break that trust. You break the trust by lying and deceiving and not being honest. What can you be trusted with? This is what character is. If you took character, you put it into these four parts, you know what it is. Now, so I want to come back to the verse. Rather, we have renounced. So the word we have here, and, and, I, and, and I, the last, I, we're going through the whole chapter and we're only on verse 2, but the other, the other ones we read through, but this is what we're dissecting. We're dissecting verse 2. We have. So the word we have is aorist tense. Okay, aorist tense in the Greek means a successful action. So to renounce, we have renounced that was successful. So I, I need you to hear me. It is, it is not present tense. I don't need to renounce sin every moment of every day. It would mean that I would never stop sinning, right? So I, it doesn't need to be present tense. So I don't need to, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Here's the deal. When you go to the Lord and you say, God, I'm sorry, I don't want to do it anymore. It's done. You see, that's the difference between the Lord and people. The Lord says, you come to me if you confess your sins. I'm faithful and just to forgive them. And then we move forward. He doesn't just keep bringing it up. We might bring it up. He ain't. So here's the deal. It's not present tense. I don't, you should not need to repent every moment of every day. It's also not perfect tense. That means that you did it once and you never need to do it again. Perfect tense would be I, I repented when I was eight and I never needed to since. Liar. 
Let's go back to the character part. What can you be trusted with? Let's try some truth here. So whenever, it means this, whenever I have something I need to renounce, I'm going to be successful in it. Come on now. I, I, oh, <laughs> whenever, whenever this, has, whenever this the, the moment that I need to do this, when I need to renounce some secret and shameful stuff, it's going to be successful. And I look at that and I'm like, that is really powerful. Why? Because it's middle voice. In the Greek, middle voice means that God is helping me. I confess he's faithful to forgive. That's why it's successful. If I'm willing to renounce it, he's willing and always faithful to forgive. So if I renounce, it'll always be successful because God's on the other end of it. Isn't that pretty cool? So the moment that you renounce, it's going to be successful if you're truly renouncing it. So let's look at that word renounce. The word renounced here, okay, by uh, definition is this, to renounce or disown, to reject the way of living or doing something, to avoid it, not do it again. So here's what it means. If I'm going to renounce something, some sinful ways, I'm number one going to disown it. The problem is that so often we're sorry that we got caught, we don't disown the sin. What we need to come to a place of is I disown it. I don't want it, I reject it, which is the second part. Disown it, I'm going to reject it, I'm going to reject that lifestyle, I'm not going to, so, so I'm, I'm disowning it, I don't want it, I don't want to be identified with it. One of the worst things about some of those recovery programs is when they walk in and say, well, hello, my name is and I'm an alcoholic. No, you're not an alcoholic, if you're a Christian, you're not an alcoholic. There's no such thing as an alcoholic Christian. You may be a Christian who struggles with some alcohol, that ain't who you are if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you identify with Christ. So I disown that old thing. I disown the thing I don't want. I reject it and I avoid it. I don't want to do that again. So the question is, what did they renounce? Well, the first thing here is this. You are commendable by renouncing your secret ways. Here's what I find funny. It's, it's kind of, when you, when you think about it, secret ways. Uh, it's not really secret. <laughs> you think it's secret. You can lie to parents. You can lie to your kids. You can lie to your spouse. You can lie to the pastor. You can lie to the boss. You can lie to your friends. But you can't lie to God. You see, God knows everything. Right? You see, see, here's the thing is they've renounced the secret ways. It was never secret they thought it was. Some of you sitting here think that what you're doing is secret because your spouse doesn't know. Well, your spouse may not know, but God does. And check this out. In the book of Proverbs 28, verse 13, it says, Whoever conceals, that means hides, their sins does not prosper. Have you ever noticed that when you were sinning and you had a, a sinful way, secret ways, a sinful way about you, that it wasn't, your life wasn't prospering? Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and what? Renounces, right? Finds mercy. 
Uh, Jeremiah 16, 17 says this, my eyes, this is God saying it, my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. There's nothing you can say or do that God doesn't see and hear. Okay? So the first, commendable by renouncing our, our secret ways. Secondly, you are commendable by renouncing your shameful ways. The word shameful, that which causes shame, disgrace, dishonor to befall you. Sin without repentance is shameful. Every one of us has done shameful acts, right? We've all done things that were dishonoring to ourselves and dishonoring to our character and all of those things. But when we continue, so sin without repentance. I'm wanting you to understand, every one of us falls short of the glory of God, right? I mean, if anyone here thinks they're perfect, this is probably not the church for you. I mean, I'm serious. I had a pastor once like, well, we can be perfect. I'm like, are you? Because the moment you start talking about, well, we are perfect, then you got to act it and you got to, you're lying to everyone. Because I had a bad attitude just about you right now. I sinned right now. I was thinking some bad things about you. So my bad, sorry, I'm, I'm falling again. So here's the thing is, is that we've all made, we've all committed sin. We've missed. So the, the point is this, the shameful way would be, Sinning and continuing without that repentance. So, what causes that? When we know we are sinning and continue to do it anyways. Now, that's never happened to any of you adults. Right? You've never known that you were sinning and did it anyways. Well, I don't see anybody taking that one. So we've all done that, right? And what he's saying is part of spiritual, listen to me, part of spiritual maturity is coming to that place of where I'm like, okay, I am done with the shameful ways. I'm done with that. I'm going to renounce this right now. I'm done, right? So he says, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways we do not use deception nor do we distort the word of God on the contrary by setting forth truth forth the truth plainly we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience it's kind of neat Um, so Paul what did he mean by deception he the context is that we have renounced our secret and shameful ways we do not deceive. And, and how would we be deceiving? Well, we would be deceiving by living in sin and acting like we don't. Wouldn't that be deception? To be living in it and not to be honest enough to own it. You guys are getting really quiet on me. You're getting quiet like it's maybe relevant. <laughs> right? I mean, we, we have a habit of doing that, though, don't we? We have a little bit of a habit of going, you know, now oh, it ain't really all that bad, you know. And, and what we do is we, we continue to live in the sin. We rationalize, justify it, and we continue in it. That's deception. It's deception because I'm not really being real. One of the things I love about this church is it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or where you've been. This is a church for misfits. If you don't fit in anywhere else, you will fit in here. You know? Me and my kids, we have this little saying when we, when we mess up, like, see you at the altar on Sunday. 
Yep, after you. All right, so here's the thing is that that's, that's what makes this so special is that we don't have to hide it. We don't need to deceive one another because we all know that we've fallen short of the glory of God. So here's the deal. When we fall short of the glory of God, let's meet at the altar and get it worked out. <laughs> I'm so glad of God's extreme mercy. The result of renouncing sin, that, remember, renouncing is I disown it, I reject it, and I avoid it. The result of renouncing sin is I become, my character is now commendable to others. Other people see it. I remember when I was going to college, they often was telling us, don't, don't get up in front of the church and tell people your sin. I remember one of my classes was like, don't do that. So then I was like, well, so I'm supposed to act like I'm perfect because I'm not. You know, surprise, shocker, I know. If you guys think I'm perfect, just go talk to Barbara. I'm not, you know. So the thing is, I'm like, man, that feels like. So then we're asking other people to be sincere and honest and genuine. And then the pastor's not supposed to be honest, sincere, and genuine? Nope. If we plant it, so I'm, 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 a, I'm considered a church planter. You, you start, this church started 11 years ago with 32 people. And, uh, and, and so it's like, well, that's not how we're going to do it here. We're going to just be honest about who we are. We're not going to hide sin. We're just going to, you know what? Man, I had a bad week. I did some things that I shouldn't have done. And man, I need some prayer. And you know what? That's what's so beautiful and amazing is when we have honesty what you can be trusted with when we have truthful honesty. We're just be able like, man, I am flawed. You will be surprised and amazed at how many people will circle around you and they're praying for you and lifting you up and you're not alone. So um, I just I get really excited about just, just all of this. And so um, before I do that, so here's one of the things that I've noticed that's really been cool. is So we, we've renounced those secret and shameful ways. I want to, one of the things that we do on Wednesdays is we celebrate people's victories, right? Every Wednesday we have these cool little bracelets. Um, I'm a white belt um, right now. Um, that means I started something. Um, you know, my wife explained it really well last week, and she said, you know, whatever, you know, what are you, what do you, what, you know, maybe. I remember the first thing that I was working on was, that I didn't like, that I lost my temper in front of my kids. That was the first thing. I'm like, I'm starting something. And, and so whenever I'd get 30 days, I'd get another chip for that kind of a thing and, 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 and to build on to what I was working on. That was one of the things that I wanted as a father. I was like, I don't want my kids to learn how to be angry or lose their temper. And so i not perfect, but if you ask my kids and feel free to, I'm a lot better. Um, I've seen progress. So lots of the Lord's done a lot of work in my life. But everybody has different things. Uh, Philip, where's my friend Philip? Where are you, brother? Philip, Philip, Philip. Come here. Come here. So today, come here. Come on. Come on. Or hobble over. All right. So today marks something very special, right? What is today? Six months. Six months. <laughs> No alcohol, no tobacco. Uh, you, gave, you, you fully surrendered your life six, uh, six months ago. Six months ago, he fully surrendered. I remember it was in the service. It was amazing. And he's like, and I'm done with it all. And God took that from you. And he says, I haven't, I haven't desired it. Uh, I haven't wanted it. 
and, and now he's witnessing to his boss. That's fun. And, uh, and, and, and loves the Lord. So here's the deal. This is a six-month bracelet. I wanted to do that today on the day. You're welcome. And one more, one more. So one of my big, uh, so, so one of the greatest things about being in my hometown is that I, I have friends, not only, that's a big bag, uh, bracelets right there. They better all be there. What, what, what you could be trusted with. All right, so I have a friend here today that I got to graduate with high school who is 500 days sober. Five hundred days. <laughs> I love you, brother. See what happens when we renounce. See, what these two gentlemen, their character is commendable to others. Other people now are able to see 500 days of sobriety. That's from Christ. He renounced it and says, I'm done with it. God, I disown it. I reject it and help me avoid it. 500 days. That's commendable character. And when you begin to live that, over and over and over in front of other people. People take notice. People have taken notice of Philip's changes and Mark's changes. And that's what the point is, is that when your character, your character will go before you and it will help the faith of everyone else. Proud of you guys. So good. So the third part that we come to is, is, so I'm commendable by renouncing those secret ways, those shameful ways, and now you're commendable by suffering well. Um, I want to say this before we, we read this passage. Um, this, I, I say suffering well on purpose. There is a statement that when my son got sick uh, with cancer, one of the things that I sat down with him um, is that I want to model three things for my kids. I want to teach my kids three major things. I want to teach them how to live well. The word well, you'll, you'll, you'll understand what I mean by that in a little bit. I want, to, I want them to know how to live well. I'm going to model that. I'm going to teach you by my example how to live well. And I want to teach them how to suffer well. Because we know in this world is suffering. In this world, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. So there's no way out of suffering. I want to show them that when I suffer, this is how it's done. And I want to die well. I want to teach my children. I want them. I, I want to go before them. My son got to model that for me. And he did well. Malachi died in the Lord. I'm so proud of my son. I wanted to show him how, but he showed me. And the reason why I want to live well, suffer well, and I want to die well is this. When I see Jesus, 
I don't want crowns. I don't want gold. I want to hear this one phrase, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's all. Like, that's my dream. That's the thing I want more than anything else. I don't, I don't want, like, to get up there and get a robe or a crown. I just, I just want to know I did it well for Jesus. That's it. And I apply that to my marriage, to my parenting, to business, to everything. So here's what he says in verses 7 through 12. Paul's saying in the same chapter, chapter 4, but we have this treasure. Remember the treasure where your heart is, right? The treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So there's a treasure, and the treasure that we're talking about is to show the world of an all-surpassing power is from God and not us. So what is it in my life that I could do that would show God's all-surpassing power is him and not me? Suffering. Think about that. You suffer in all different kinds of ways. We have trials and tribulations of all different kinds. And most of us whine and complain and, you know, sometimes I don't suffer very well and I'm trying to work on that. We are hard-pressed on every side, he says. We're hard-pressed but not crushed. You hear what he's, he's, he is testifying about suffering well. I'm, I'm pressed on every side, but I'm not crushed. You hear that? I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Ooh, come on, somebody. Right? Paul goes on to say, we, carry all, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. They're suffering like Jesus. They want to die like Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed. Wow, I love this. So, for we who are alive are always being given over to death. You, you think about this. The 12 disciples, only one died of old age. And the one that died of old age was John, and he was boiled alive in oil. So he, it's not like he didn't get hurt. He, he suffered just like every one of the other ones. Paul was beheaded. Every one of these disciples, so he's like, we carry around death. They know that, hey, by me representing Christ, I'm going to die for this. We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that, and so that is the reason, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. He's like, what is this mortal thing? I want the eternal thing. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So what he's saying is, we're dying for the Lord so that you can live eternally. He goes on to say in verse 13, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit. Listen to Paul. Paul's like, man, we're getting persecuted. We're getting pressed. We're getting pushed down. We're getting knocked down. And it's all for you. He didn't, he didn't complain about it. He's saying, listen, this is for you. Have you ever thought about that when you go through suffering and the way that you suffer will help others?
All this is for your benefit so that, you catch that? So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. You see, commendable suffering is your suffering for the benefit of others. When you suffer well in the Lord, you will help someone else's faith. Isn't it easy to believe when it's easy? Right? I mean, if, hey, if I have all, you know, if I have no struggles financially and, 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 and my, my kids never cause me any problems and my, my, you know, my, my, my wife was mute, I mean, was, was I mean, quite, I mean, you know, no, I'm just I'm teasing. But, I mean, think about this, though. You think about your life. I love my wife. She's amazing. Um, but when you think about it is that when we look at our life, if everything was perfect in your life, then how would you ever demonstrate faith? How could you do it if everything was easy? It is when it is tough. It's when the struggle is real. When you're facing storms and trials and tribulation and persecution, that's when people are reading you. That's when people are watching you. See, lost people don't read Bibles. They read the people who say they read their Bibles. Lost people are reading you and what you do when everything in your life is turned upside down. Who are you still praising? Will you praise God in the storm or do you only praise him when it's, the sun is shining? You see, one of the things that I preached several, several weeks ago was victim to victor. And the problem is, is that we live in a society that loves victimhood we love people and one of the the psychiatrists out there um, psychology today wrote an article saying that most people don't want to get out of their uh, they didn't use the word bondage that's what I would read uh, would, would say that they don't want to get out of their circumstances because they get more sympathy encouragement and love while they're down, so they just stay down. What? Why do I want to stay down? It makes me miserable. Why do I want to be miserable? So that people can feel sorry for my misery? Come on. I don't want to be miserable. I want to be happy. I want to find joy. I want to have a life in Christ. I want to praise him. I want to glorify him. I want to honor him. I want to smile on my face. Lastly, commendable through perseverance. The very last three verses, he says, therefore. He repeats what he started with. In verse one, he said, we don't lose heart. And the last, so he sandwiched this. Perseverance, guys. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart. He's, he's been, Paul was, was shipwrecked twice. He was um, beaten with uh, rods. He was thrown in jail. He was flogged of the 39 lashes or 40 lashes minus one, which is 39 lashes. It was said that 40 lashes of the cat of nine tails, the Roman thing, would kill someone. So they did, let's do one less than what would kill you. He had that twice. He went hungry. He went without clothes. He was cold. He was hot. He was thirsty. He had everything that could ever happen. And and here's how he, therefore we do not lose heart. You want to be an ambassador of Christ, then don't lose heart. 
Don't lose your courage. Don't give up. Don't give up on your marriage when it's tough. Don't give up on your kids when it's tough. Don't give up on your parents, though your parents are knuckleheads. All right? Come on now. Don't give up. Don't give up when it's hard. You keep fighting because Jesus is the victor. He never loses. He never loses. He never loses. He says, for our light and momentary problems. Listen to this. Paul saying his light, like easy, momentary troubles. He, his, his, his troubles weren't light, folks. But he's using this to describe that nothing is comparable about what's to come. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Malachi's life was cut short. Barbara and I tease each other and kind of joke around a little bit. And we say, you know, if there was one of our kids to find the shortcut, it was going to be Malachi. He found the shortcut to heaven, 14 years old. And one of the things I remember driving home, and he, he, this, I share this often because it's so relevant. He said, uh, why me? And I remember in my philosophy class back in uh, college, there was this question, why? And I always thought I wanted to be a sarcastic student, so I just said, why not? You know, um, <laughs> shortest essay I've ever wrote. Why not? Um, so I said, why not? Why not you? And he said, you know, I said, if you were to have to pick one of your friends, because he had a lot of really, really good friends. And I said, if you were going to ask God to trade places with one of your friends, who would it be? Well, I wouldn't choose any of them. And I said, that's why. Because you wouldn't have put this on anyone else. You wouldn't have said, well, I would like to trade places with that guy over there. He doesn't deserve this. And Malachi then said the most amazing thing that I'll never as a father forget. He says, you know what, Dad? If God uses this to just reach one of my friends, then it'll be worth it. Now, this is a boy who knew that he had a terminal brain cancer. Terminal. He knew what it meant. The doctor made sure of it. And he says, if one of my friends come to Christ, then it will be worth it all. His light and momentary trouble on earth achieved for him an eternal glory that outweighs it all. I believe that with everything that I am. That's why I'm still standing here today. Paul says, so we fix our eyes. I want to, if I was ever want to add a part to the Bible, I would say, so fix our eyes on Jesus. That's in, in the book of Hebrews, so... But he says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul had his eyes focused on eternity. The kingdom of heaven which we represent. So what are we going to do with this, guys? I mean, a, a sermon is... No good if we don't do something with it. So I want you to bow your eyes, your heads, and close your eyes. Or whichever one works for you. Surely the Lord spoke to you. He's been moving all service.
<laughs> we had an altar call before an altar call. So maybe there's some secret things that you've been hiding in your life that you need to renounce today. Maybe today is the day that you're like, you know what, I've been hiding this from my parents. And I don't care how afraid you are. Man, as a parent, I'm just like, you know what? If, there was, if my kid was doing something they shouldn't be doing, I would just, in, my, in my heart, I'm like begging them, just tell me. Just tell me. Maybe there's something that I've been hiding that I need to get out. Maybe there's some shameful things that I've been doing that I need to renounce. Maybe what you needed to hear today is don't give up. You see, what's beautiful about an altar call is I don't know what's going on in your life, but the Lord does. He knows exactly what you need, when you need it, and how you need it. And the Bible says about itself as the word of God will not return void, so I know it will not return void in your life. This is your time. This is the most important part of any service where we get to put ourselves on, on the altar. Maybe it's to praise God. I was hurting really bad today and I almost didn't come. And my wife helped me out and I sang praises as loud as I could in the truck on the way over here. And I was so excited that I felt good because I thought I was going to suffer through the sermon because I was hurting so bad and I'm not hurting. And I just, I just praised God. That's what I needed to do. Come and say, God, thank you for removing that pain so that I could concentrate on your word. Maybe you just need to praise God. Maybe you need to renounce sin. Maybe you need to grab your spouse and say, you know what? We fought all week long, but today we're going to not give up. We're not giving up. Honey, let's go. Maybe you need to grab your kids by the hand. and you need, Maybe you need to apologize to your kids. Maybe some kids need to apologize. But here's the thing. This is the moment where we get to change something. Because God is in this place and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So this is the moment that something changes before you walk out of the doors. So whatever that is, do it and do it now. Do it now.